We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome, welcome, welcome in for another episode, another edition of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty Network, or you might be listening on the Finding Freedom podcast feed. Either way, however you listen, doesn't matter to me, just glad to have you here today. Today's episode will be another solo show, and a couple different reasons for that. Um, I've had a couple <laughs> couple guests you know, flake out on me recently. I've had a couple of guests cancel on me recently. But more than anything, you know, I used to kind of, when I was younger in the podcast game, I would uh, I would maybe panic if I didn't have a guest. I'd get a little, a little flustered. You know, maybe I'll bring on a guest that I wasn't quite sure about, you know, wasn't too excited about their story, about what they could bring to the table. Now, if I don't get a guest... If a guest falls through, if I have to do a solo show, I like it, man. I embrace it. I love it. And I'm excited, excited for the opportunity to talk to uh, the audience here, the the Finding Freedom audience, to address you all directly. Um, Because I think, you know, as someone who's been podcasting for, for years and years, and, you know, we've grown this huge audience here at Lions of Liberty, I think I have a pretty good idea of what you all want to hear. And I think I'm, I'm pretty confident that today's show is going to deliver. Um, now, that's not to say that I'm going to stop having guests on. I, I love interviewing people. I love bringing out those stories, especially stories on this show of people overcoming obstacles, struggles, um, pushing past pain points to really achieve unimaginable dreams to to push past injustice to achieve things that you know like my guest last week who was sentenced to life in prison and to hear his story how he already before he had any idea he would ever get out of prison how he had already changed his mental his his, his mentality his outlook to really embrace the world he was in um, spiritually emotionally physically without even knowing he would ever get out, but knowing knowing that he would get out, which is just an amazing thing to, uh, to hear from someone. And I can't wait to bring you more guests like that in the future. But today's episode is uh, It's Just Me Today. And before we get into, into the meat of today's show, and there is some meat. I've got a bunch of different um, you know, topics, stories, um, narratives to uh, to get into. Um, actually, um, one of the stories I'm going to be telling you all about uh, is I might still have them on the show, but we haven't been able to uh, get our schedules together. And once I get into the story, you understand why. But uh, just just a crazy story from a listener of the show who reached out um, for something they're going through. They've essentially had their children um, taken away from them by uh, CYS. So we'll get into that. Um, I want to talk about, you know, at the beginning here, I'm going to talk about the COVID narrative and uh, some things I'm hearing in the libertarian 
podcast community. Um, I want to then pivot and I want to talk about the story of, of the nurse, Redonda Voigt, who was uh, convicted, uh, convicted for, um, I think it was neg- negligent homicide for you know, giving the wrong drug and killing one of her patients. We're going to hear from a nurse who actually agrees with the verdict when 99% of the response to it from the, uh, the nursing and healthcare community and the liberal community and everyone uh, has been uh, you know, defending this nurse, um, saying it could happen to anybody. And then I want to get into a couple uh, wild card stories. We'll see if we get to them. I don't really want to tease them here. Stick around to the end. They are, they are gems if we, uh, if we get to them. So before we go any further, I just want to remind everyone about the Lions of Liberty Pride. If you're not in the Pride, you don't get our, our bonus episodes, our bonus content. And last week, last Friday, April Fool's Day, myself, Brian, and Mark did a uh, epi- uh, an episode that we call Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, L-I-L-D-L. And we called it an AMA, you know, meaning you know, we're going to take questions and stuff from the pride. There were some questions asked, things like that. But more than anything, it was just banter. It was a good time. It was talking about, you know, what's happening in the world, what's happening in our lives, other crazy shit. Um, just, just a good time. And honestly, Mark and Brian and I, we do have, you know, we talk every day, not on the phone or anything, but emailing and texting back and forth, all that stuff. But and we have our business meetings. But to sit down for a podcast with the three of us and just shoot the shit, that happens like twice a year, maybe. But what we're going to do, it's not going to be the case anymore. It's going to happen once a month. And it's only it's only going to be available to our Pride members. So that's something we're doing to spice up the Pride. So we would appreciate it if uh, you know, if you want to hear that and you want to hear the rest of our great bonus content in the Pride. We have Conspiracy Corner. They just recorded an episode of that, which is one of my favorite podcasts of any kind, bonus or otherwise. Listening to uh, the guys on Conspiracy Corner, and of course we have Degenerate Gamblers. We'll be getting into that soon again with the baseball starting up, but that really ramps up more so in the fall with uh, the NFL and college football. And uh, of course you get to watch uh, our shows live, listen to them early if they're made available early, and and all that good stuff. And you get in the you know the, the Facebook Pride group, and you can. You know, comment on comment and all that, and who knows more to come. We're talking about. We really want to. We really want to make the pride a a great place. It already is. You know, I think when you compare it to other uh, patron groups in the liberty movement or really the podcast world, I think we give you more bang for your buck than anywhere else. And we ju- we just want to make it so great that you you can't not join. You know, does that make sense? It's a double negative. Um, anyway. Moving on. So I want to talk about the COVID narrative falling apart. And I know Mark has talked about this a lot on his show about how, guess what? Nothing is falling apart. Um, maybe there's a pivot. Um, some things have sort sh- changed in the world. But the narrative itself, um, it could come back in the fall with the flu or with another strand of COVID and people, the, the hysteria, the, uh, the, the vaccine mandates, the masking mandates, the vaccine employer mandates, all of that stuff could come back in a heartbeat. And when I hear, you know, 
people talk about this. And frankly, it was on a, a recent episode of Part of the Problem with uh, with Dave and Robbie. Robbie, who was just on um, Brian's new show, which I forgot to plug. I meant to plug it at the top. Brian's new show, Mean Age Daydream. If you haven't listened to that, check it out. Um, I like the uh, the new format that he's uh, that he's bringing to the table. So make sure to check out his his episode one or. I don't think he's calling it episode one. He's not starting over and counting. After you've made so many podcasts, you don't, even when you change the name of your show, like I did from Felony Friday to Finding Freedom, you don't go back to one. At least I don't believe in that. Maybe maybe someone else does, but I just keep on counting. Change the name, keep on counting. I think that's what Brian did too. But anyway, great episode with Brian and Robbie. Check that out. Um, what I wanted to talk about was Dave and Robbie recently. And I, I don't want to like, put words in their mouth or mis- mischaracterize what they're saying. But it, it seems to me like, you know, Dave really believes that the pushback from people like us and, you know, maybe the, the Ron DeSantis's and, and, and people and people of that ilk has stopped the COVID regime rather than, it's sort of running out of gas and then a pivot being made to Ukraine, which I think that's what happened. Um, I think this is a, a clear pivot by the propaganda machine. And you can clearly see the pivot by just tracking th- the people who are fully bought into the propaganda, how they react to it. They go from mask up, get your vaccine to, oh, here we go. Oh, it's turning. It's turning. Uh, Ukrainian flag in the bio. Um, and now it's you know continue to turn, and we're talking about transgender rights, and we're talking about don't say gay, and it turns into gay, gay, gay in the profile and pronouns in the profile, and that, I mean you you can track the, the propaganda like like a clear line, uh, the people that they have locked in, um, nothing is failing. There's no narrative failing. It's just it's just pivots of the the corporate press machine, and the. Uh, the liberal woke machine and it could pivot right back and stomp you right in the face with a vaccine mandate. Or if the flu gets real bad, they'll come up with some, some other shit there. Um, we haven't won anything. Uh, like when I say we, I mean, you know, people who are on the other side of this pushing back, call it the Liberty movement, call it reasonable people, call it um, people who just hate being, you know, stomped on with a boot on their neck. We haven't gained like the influence to control or to stop this propaganda machine. So, so why would we think like this narrative would go away? And I'm not saying this in a way like to think that like I, I don't think I don't think people that think the narrative has has failed or or that uh, you know really this is some great victory. I don't, I don't like I don't blame them for thinking that um, after being through what we've gone through in the past two years or two and a half years, whatever it is, you know, when you come out and you can breathe a little bit, it feels amazing. And I, I'm enjoying, I'm not going to get me wrong. I'm enjoying this time right now. I love it. I mean, I love being able to go to restaurants and go to bars and go to the gym and people aren't wearing masks and it feels normal and the vaccine mandates have gone away and employers are you know rolling things back. It feels great. I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm embracing this current moment right now. I'm soaking it up. I'm soaking it in. I love every second, every every part of it. But don't think for a minute that that can't all be taken away. It absolutely can all be taken away. 
I, I just want I just want to make that point, and I'm not like criticizing Dave in a way like you know you're an idiot or, or <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not being uh you know um I'm not being an asshole about it because I think it's very common uh, that people are kind of taking it in a way that we've won something we haven't won shit and likely we're not going to win anything um, the the way the way that we win is by you know I think. I think, at least, by changing things in our own lives so we have more control of uh, the outcomes which are most important to us. The more things we can control, the more things that we are able to um, you know, have flexibility and move and not be tied down to a spot. Um, I think that's how you win. And you can talk about crypto, and you know, Mark's had some great guests on talking about that. That's all, um, it's all fantastic. But um, you know, I think the first step is really turning that spotlight around, putting it on yourself, looking yourself in the mirror and figuring out what can I do today um, to make myself less vulnerable to all the things we saw happen from the state directed towards the people over the past two and a half years. I think that's the first step. We'll talk about the second step another day. I want to pivot and I want to talk about pivots, COVID pivot. Show pivot. There you go. That's how you uh, transition in this business, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I want to talk about an email that I received a a few weeks ago. Uh, so you know, I, I get emails from time to time. People either just, just wanting to, to pitch stories for me to talk about, or you know, wanting to come on the show. And it's kind of different the emails I get, like. I understand that a lot of podcasters get emails and I get them too. You know, people, I wrote a book, have me on your show. I started a podcast. I started a business, have me on your show. Yes, I get, I I get all that stuff, but I get emails from people going through real shit. And sometimes they think I'm a lawyer and they're like, what do I do? Can you put, or can you put me in contact with someone to help me? They're talking about their legal problems and um, all kinds of different different things happening. So I, I hear some crazy stories, and oftentimes I don't I don't share them, and I'm not going to share any names from this story, locations, or anything to give it away. Um, these uh, the parents in this case had talked about coming on the show, um, but they've gone dark on me. So maybe that's for a reason. Um, I don't want to, you know, I'll, I'll leave enough murkiness that it it, it shouldn't. Uh, Shouldn't give any, anything away, and I, I would still very much like to have them on the show to bring more attention to this case. Okay, so the letter starts out, you know, talking about where they're from, who they are, and uh, okay, they say, I am contacting you because we're currently going through a case that's completely unjust and evil. To give you a quick rundown, when our infant son was born, he was born with several various health issues. In the first three weeks of his life, we sought medical care from various health facilities. When finally we were sent to blank hospital, um, upon examination, they came to the conclusion he had several fractures throughout his entire body. So they got social services involved and ended up taking both of our children away. They took both of their children away. This is freaking crazy. Um, which the oldest is completely fine, mind you. This is, this is them talking. Um, we've been fighting for months and have finally received a diagnosis of fragility fractures caused by Ehlers-Denlos syndrome. Uh, 
Um, so what, what I guess what that syndrome is, and I think um, maybe they don't talk about it a little bit in here, but I, I, I looked it up, and it, it's essentially it's it's a syndrome with it's, it's, uh, bone weakness, which leads to all these little fractures in bones. It's very 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 sad, um, very sad thing for for a child to be afflicted with. Uh, continue on with this letter, but that's still not good enough for CYS and law enforcement. So we're forced to continue fighting for the justice of for the justice our family deserves. Nothing at all has pointed towards us being abusers or bad parents. They have said that themselves. So saying CYS has said that themselves. Um, the only thing pointing to that are the fractures which were found by a child abuse pediatrician. And unfortunately, this is all too common. It happens to people all over the world because there is not, a, under, not enough understanding on rare disorders and any disorder that resembles that of abuse. Um, they claim is non-accidental injury. Uh, the system is extremely flawed. I have even gone as far as making a bill proposal that is actually in the works right now called the Differential Diagnosis Accountability Act. My goal is to change the laws within this broken system and prevent this from happening to other innocent families like mine. I'd really appreciate it if you would take a better look into her story. Uh, they talk about a Facebook group. I'm not going to say that. Um, anyway, she wanted to bring this to the attention of, of the public eye. And, you know, you hear a story like this and it absolutely just breaks your heart. I mean, for as a parent, you know, I, I have a daughter, six-year-old daughter, and to imagine, first of all, I mean, you're going through, just imagine you're going through this terrible thing where, you know, you can't figure out what, why your child's in pain, and you finally, you know, get this diagnosis that there's this syndrome, um, and I forget the order of things that happened here, but then the, both your kids are taken away, and, and you have a, and you know why, your child is in pain, and you 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 found the solution, but the system says you're an abuser with zero evidence. And it's this. I mean, this is just like you talk about like injustice and shining a light on injustice. I, I can't think of of a bigger injustice than than something like this to take away um, two children from parents. It's it's just it, it's just totally. Totally mind blowing, and I—I I mean, I understand to a certain extent. Like, of course, you don't want to like have kids in households where you know they're being abused. I'm all in favor of that not happening and getting children. I mean, some libertarians, I, I think, would would not agree with this. Um, with you know, the state coming in and taking a child out of a household where they're getting the crap beat out of them. I, for one, am okay with that. But the problem is the state is very flawed and they make a lot of mistakes and they have these these systematic issues like this where even when they know that they've made a mistake, they don't have, I mean, it's like, it's like the bureaucracy cannot be, cannot be changed or altered to, to correct a past mistake. And who knows what's going to happen here. I pray to God that these parents get their children back as soon as possible. Maybe they already have. Maybe that's why they, you know, stop trying to reach out to me to get on the show. Maybe just everything is, is good now. I, ho- I hope that's the case. But, you know, I, I'm i not in favor of, you know, states. 
it's it's complicated to say this. You know, we have a state, right? Everyone understands that that we we live under, you know, where there's governments, local, state, federal. Everyone agrees that we're in that reality, right? So if you know you find out your neighbor is beating the crap out of their children and you're like, I want to put a stop to that, what options do you have? Um, can you just go over there and take the kids away from your neighbor and say you're not beating those kids up anymore? Well, you could, and then the neighbor would call the police on you and you'll end up in prison. So you, you, you're in a situation where you don't have good options. And like I, when I said a few minutes ago that I'm in favor of the state coming in and taking a child out of a home where he's getting, you know, he's getting abused. I'm only in favor of that because that's the only option that can work. I mean, the option's not going to work by, you know, people going over and taking the children. Option's not going to work by you going over and, and, you know, committing a violent act against the parents. Might make you feel good in the moment. You know, they, they deserve it, but it doesn't solve the problem. We don't have mechanisms in place to solve that problem right now. So this... This, it's a flawed system, and it has to have a, a flawed solution, unfortunately. And that's that's just where we are with, uh, with with things of that nature. And people can call me a bad libertarian for something like that. I I, I really don't care. I mean, I'm not here to defend, uh, you know, the word libertarian. I don't give a shit about that. You know, I'm, I'm I, I care about um, my morals. I care about being ethical, and I care about doing the right thing. And you know, I, I care about doing the right thing in the eyes of you know, in the eyes of God. You know, as cliche as it is to say, what would Jesus do? You know, I mean, and you know what? Maybe Jesus would go over and just punch the punch that parent in the face and take the kids away. He's Jesus. He's the Son of God. He's some way to some way to get around it. But I I am not. So I I would pay the repercussions for that. And the uh, the children would end up back in harm's way, which is what you don't want. You want to get the children out of harm's way. So I want to take a quick pause here and talk about Paloma Verde CBD. Uh, you know, if you are someone who is active, you're someone who works out, maybe you're someone who's, you know, maybe you used to be an athlete and, uh, you know, you're dealing with aches and pains of, of getting older. Uh, maybe you're someone who just needs some help relaxing, winding down, sleeping. Um, you need to check out Paloma Verde CBD. Uh, you can go there, uh, use discount code ROAR, and you get 20%, 20% off at checkout. Um, you know, they got the, the tinctures, the gummies, uh, the, the, the solves to, to treat uh, aches and pains um, for people who are, you know, active and, and doing athletic things. Which is which is good, which I strongly advise people people to do. Um, please check out Paloma Verde CBD. Just a, owned by a great couple, a libertarian couple. Uh, so please go support them. Okay, so turn to the page here. Going to get into a a recent story, and you've you've probably heard about it. Maybe you haven't, but um, I teased it at the top of the show and. Nurses, healthcare workers, doctors across the U.S. are are, are losing their mind right now. Let me get a drink of water real quick. Um, so this is the Redonda Voigt. I think I'm saying that right. Um, case, and I'm, I'm going to 
mostly read this article. And then I have a response that I'm going to play a, a small segment from, um, from a, a YouTube video from a guy named, I think it's, what's he call himself? Nurse Scott, I think. Yeah, Nurse Scott, which he takes the opposite side, saying that, that he really agrees with the, uh, with the verdict here. So getting into this story, um, so, and I'm not going to read it from top to bottom because the story is kind of written in a, uh, in a weird way. But so, so Voigt, that, that's the nurse, Redonda Voigt, um, who worked at Vanderbilt University Medical Center in Nashville, was convicted in the death of Charlene Murphy, a 75-year-old patient who died from a drug mix-up. This is back in 2017. So this trial was delayed for, you know, three years. Wait, five? What? Five years? <laughs> what? It's 2022. Um, wow, it's a long, that's a long delay. Uh, Murphy was prescribed a dose of a sedative called Versed, uh, but Voigt accidentally withdrew a powerful paralyzer, Vecaronium. And of course, the nurse that I'm going to play the video, um, video from will say all these names perfectly and make me look like an idiot. Um, from an automated medication dispensing cabinet administered and, and administered it to Murphy. Prosecutors argue that Voigt overlooked many obvious signs that she'd withdrawn the wrong drug. And she did not monitor Murphy after she was given the deadly dose. So Voigt owned up to the air, but said it was an honest mistake, not a crime. And that's what a lot of you know nurses and doctors and people in the healthcare field are saying. They're saying things this could happen to anyone. They're saying this could set a, a terrible precedent where you know now nurses are going to hide things when things go wrong. And I, I don't think I buy that really. Most of the opinions on this at least from people you're, you're hearing, you know, that the media is going to, which of course are a certain kind of person are coming to the defense of this nurse. And, you know, she'll probably appeal. I'm sure she will, but there's, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people that that are supporting her. There's 8,200 people who've joined a Facebook group and they're planning a March in protest outside of the courthouse during her sentencing May 13th. So who knows what how the judge is actually going to going to handle this sentencing. Um, I don't know how much leeway that he has. I'm sure he has probably has quite a bit of leeway. So maybe won't even get any uh any prison time in the uh in the sentencing. But you know, I mean, it sounds like I understand where people are coming from and a couple things that that I will say about the nursing industry. Nurses are incredibly overworked doctors are incredibly overworked um our healthcare system is is broken um completely broken you have doctors who are are so busy um taking on so many patients they don't have time to keep up or research or look into uh any of the the newest technology the newest trends and really they're forced to rely upon whatever pharmaceutical salesmen's salesmen or saleswomen bring into them and uh, and put in front of them and the different conferences they go to what's what's at the conferences and what's talked about they don't have to have time or they don't make time i'm sure they could have time if they you know reprioritize some things but the vast majority of doctors are not you know staying on the cutting edge of you know what's happening medically in the newest technologies the newest um newest techniques um things like that 
it's a broken system. And I mean, you could even go a little bit and run a place video in a minute from, from the nurse, but you talk about medical malpractice. I mean, how many people die because, because of medical malpractice and medical errors? It's, it's totally insane. Uh, just uh, So I'm looking at nationaltriallaw.com. Got some stats here. So researchers say that medical errors are now the third leading cause of death. This is from, was from 2016. 195,000 patients die in hospitals each year because of preventable mistakes. Uh, the top five malpractice allegations are from diagnosis, which is 33%, surgery, which is 23%, treatment, which is 18%, medication and anesthesia, 10%. Uh, the most common sources of medical malpractice claims from 2013 to 2017 were diagnostic errors. So medical malpractice occurs when a healthcare provider deviates from the recognized standard of care uh, in treatment of patients. The standard of care is defined as what a reasonably prudent medical provider would or would not have done under the same or similar circumstances. And listen, you know, I mean, I will say this. I grew up in a household with my father, who um, was a defense lawyer, um, took a lot of medical malpractice cases, um, took a lot of accidental injury cases, and I grew up sitting around the dinner table and hearing you know, about a lot of this stuff, and, and hearing about doctors amputating the wrong limb, and the reason why, when you go to get surgery done, and I, I know this for a fact, when I went to get uh, my ankle uh, operated on a few years ago when I uh, tore ligaments in it and you know, I had chunks of bones floating around in there. Before the doctor operated, he signed my ankle. Why do they do that? Well, they sign where they're going to uh, to cut because they have to. That's uh, that's the law. Now I, I believe it is at least. And you know, doctors are egomaniacs. So there's doctors out there who are like, I'm not freaking doing this bullshit. And they'll come and they'll just do like the littlest signature ever just to be an asshole. What's wrong with taking a safety measure, man? It's just a safety measure. Why wouldn't you do it? And that, I mean, that's like another thing that this really just blows my mind about this whole um, Redonda Void case. Like, coming from the risk management world, right? I mean, and coming from a very process-oriented world, there's there's certain things you put, you know, triggers in place, you put systems in place, you put warnings in place, many things that can trigger and stop you before you get to a point where someone ends up dead. I mean, that that's that's normal. So when somebody ignores all of that stuff. Many different warnings, many different triggers, many different um, things put in their way to prevent them from making a a mistake that could kill and did kill a patient. And then the healthcare community defends them and says this could happen to anyone. No, that doesn't make any freaking sense. If I'm working in a factory, which I have worked in factories, I've worked in very dangerous environments. I I used to work in in, uh, steel framing fabrication taking huge coils of steel and running them through tooling to turn it into, you know, steel studs and things like that. And 
I, I saw some crazy near misses, man. And thankfully, I, I never saw you know an accident when I was in a plant. But one thing that we would do, and when I was in, when I was actually in the plant in California, it was my job to do this every week, is I would take, we would call them near miss, near miss forms. You know, really, what are the worst things that either almost happened um, or you would take actual accident forms uh, documenting accidents, some of them pretty pretty freaking brutal, and read them to the people working in the plant. Kind of shock them a little bit. And when you read them, you have an actual accident where someone has a steel coil, you know, fall off because they got a piece of wood sitting between two steel coils and they go to put, you know, a chain through it to, to hook it up. And then when they're pulling their arm out, you know, somehow the, the wood slips and their arm gets crushed between two steel coils. Coils, Yeah, you, you say that stuff to scare the shit out of people so they don't try dumb shit like that. And does that stuff happen in hospitals? Probably not because they probably don't have fucking time because there's, there's not enough nurses, not enough doctors. Probably need robots involved, to be honest. And the reasons why there's not enough nurses, not enough doctors, I mean, it's it's a... Uh, it's the fault of the really the cartelization of the healthcare industry. It's, it's the fault of these license licensing boards, medical licensing boards. Um, it's a it's an artificial constraint on the number of doctors. We could have more doctors if we could have more doctors if there wasn't this insane commitment where you had to go in all this incredible amount of debt in order to go to medical school, and you could just instead just specialize in certain areas without learning everything and accumulating incredible debt and all this time and all this money. And anyway, that's a, that's a different rant probably. I want to pivot now and I'm going to play a clip from um, nurse Scott talking about this case, which this is gold and I'm a hundred percent on board with this dude, what he's saying. Uh, I'll just, I'll just uh, play this now, turn it over to him and it's going to be like two or three minutes of this. And here is coming up, coming up, coming up. Here it comes Nurse Scott. Redonda missed warnings and made several errors in the medication administration process. First of all, we give Versed all the time. It's a drug she should have been familiar with. She should have known that it's a liquid and not a powder. She might even have known the color of the cap and the label was orange. Vec, as it's called, Vecuronium, is given less often, only when we intubate a patient. But we all know how dangerous drugs like this are and how, and it's labeled, it's labeled, is, how it's labeled is designed to alert us that this is no ordinary drug. Redonda later reported that she did find it a little odd that it needed to be reconstituted. That is, liquid added to the powder to be able to inject it. That should have been a red flag for her. Warning, paralytic agent is written on the ring around the rubber stopper where she both had to inject the saline to reconstitute it and pull up the drug for administration. To remove the drug from the dispensing machine, she would have had to click through at least two on-screen warnings that vecuronium is a paralytic agent. Now, it is true, nurses are bombarded by alarms and alerts, and we can get desensitized to these. It's almost reflex to hit the silence button on those devices, but we should still look to see why it's alarming. 
When Redonda reconstituted the medication, she read the back of the vial for directions on how to do that, but she never read the front where the name was. When she did have access to a scanning computer, then she never scanned the medication into the MAR. Had she done so, she would have seen the vial did not match the order. It would have been a little too late, but this was another error that she made. Immediately after giving the drug, if she had taken the time to ask, how are you feeling now, Mrs. Murphy? She would have noticed that the patient was unable to move or breathe. Unfortunately, Redonda didn't miss just one thing. She make one little error. She missed many things, and sadly, someone died as a result. The, com the nursing community and even some physicians have blown up the interwebs, rallying to Redonda's cause. And we nurses do need to support each other and defend each other. When an overworked nurse forgets to chart something, we need to remind the hospital that their choice to require overtime has consequences. When pay isn't fair, we need to protest and sometimes go on strike. We need to stick up for each other, but we cannot defend the indefensible. As a nurse, you can fall short in a million different ways, and the repercussions are minimal or non-existent. Maybe you miss a patient's medication. Maybe you're not a very friendly person with patients. Maybe you forget to teach a patient something. Maybe you don't keep the desk tidy. Maybe you forget to chart an assessment. Maybe you come back late from break every single time. But there are certain things we do as nurses where failure is not an option, like maintaining a sterile field, or maintaining minimum standards of care, or keeping a patient alive. The three I'll stop it right there. I, I think that's uh, <laughs> keeping a patient alive as a standard, as a nurse, not a high standard. Right, I think uh, when you go into the nursing field, keeping a patient alive is you know as much as is in your control. You know, keeping a patient alive by by you not killing them by injecting them with you know the the wrong drug or you know by not giving them the, the care that is you know been assigned to them by medical professionals. I, I think that's a pretty low bar, right? I mean, sure, yeah, you you could you could be a, a poor nurse and you're. You know, bedside manner, and you know, maybe you're a little bit lazy and in, in, in different ways. But you know, there's got to be there's got to be a bare minimum requirement, right? Like, wouldn't you think it's it's kind of like when? And I hate using analogies in this way, but this just pops into my mind, and it's I'm gonna I'm gonna say it, but I mean it's kind of like when you have police officers. And you have a you know a police officer who commits some you know terrible act. You know, you name any of the cases you know from the past you know, past few years, and uh, choke somebody out in the street, uh, ne neg negligently you know fires their gun and uh, and kills someone, or just recklessly is you know firing their gun through a door and uh, and kills someone. It would make so much more sense for the rest of the police officers to say, "Listen, high stress situation. Okay, we don't. It's not doesn't excuse this behavior. Doesn't excuse you know re recklessly firing uh, your firearm uh, without having having sight of what you're shooting at and, and killing someone. Doesn't excuse 
you know, uh, being on top of someone and smothering them to death. Doesn't excuse that. Police officers should be coming out and saying, no, that's, that's not us. We're not doing that. We don't defend that behavior. We don't defend that behavior. We understand, you know, the stress of the job. We understand you're in difficult situations. We understand it's not easy, but we don't condone that behavior. We don't condone killing the people we're protecting. So we should be the same with nur- uh, with uh, nurses. You know, we understand that the nurses are overworked. We understand that probably a lot of them are underpaid. We understand that COVID's been a really rough time on them. I mean, say what you will about uh, the response to COVID by the Anthony Fauci's of the world, but it's just killed a lot of people. It's killed a lot of people. And nurses have been there to see it, and they've been overworked, and they've they've had to deal with these you know, COVID regulations, and they've had to wear these N95 masks all the time. And it's, it's not an enjoyable thing, I'm sure. I'm sure it sucks. I'm sure it's high stress. I'm sure it's annoying. I'm sure, you know, especially with vaccine mandates and uh, the nursing workforce being cut down and people having to work double shifts and work more hours, I'm sure it sucks. I'm sure it's really, really tough. But you don't keep that baseline level saying, hey, it sucks, but we can't make mistakes to kill people. Anything wrong with that? Is there, is there a problem there? If, if there's a if there's really a problem there with like nurses speaking out against d- defending someone who acted so negligently that someone died, that just went through all of the uh, you know the overrides that were in place or all of the. Um, you know, warnings that were in place to prevent this mistake. They just didn't override to all of them. Nurses are going to defend that behavior. Why? Why are you defending that behavior? Why? That, that scares me. That makes me think there's nurses doing this all the time. When you defend this, that makes me think you do it. And I don't, if you're doing that, I don't want you to be my nurse. And you shouldn't be a nurse. Honestly. Oh, God, it's craziness, man. So I, I really wanted to talk about that case. You know, I've been reading about it, and you know, it, it broke this week. And then I saw that video with, with Nurse Scott, and I, was, I, I got to talk about this. And I don't know if people agree with me or not. I really haven't really taken the temperature of of the room, people around me. This is just kind of my gut feel. Is my is my gut feel off here? Is that is it too much to ask that nurses shouldn't kill their patients? I don't I don't think so. I think that's a pretty good baseline. Pretty good. Pretty good place to start. Okay, let's get into just just a couple stories here at the end, and it's a few more few more minutes, few more things to talk about. So, Rand Paul's wife, Kelly Paul, getting in some trouble, getting a little, a little bit of trouble, a little, a little spicy tweeting from uh, from Kelly Paul. So she sent out a tweet on March thirtieth. So it wasn't April 1st, so it wasn't, you know, an April Fool's tweet. Tweet reads, Chinese third graders are learning multivariable calculus. Our third graders are being taught that men can have babies. This will not end well. Now, I will say, she does have, in air quotes, or in quotes, men can have babies. So... Of course, the pushback and the um, complete shock 
from the left that Kelly Paul would tweet something like this. Uh, very, very predictable. And while the two statements that she made, probably neither of them are really true. Like, I don't think there's many schools teaching that men can have babies. And probably in China, um, they're probably not teaching third graders multivariable calculus. But I will say this, and this is really a tweeting technique that reminds me of Donald Trump. And I wonder if Rand picked this up from Donald Trump. Say what you will about Donald Trump, but one of the best tweeters out there. Um, just getting concise to the point, um, saying sometimes absurd things in order to make a point, which you know people would say, oh, fact check that, he's lying. But he still made the point, and it still stuck, and it still got people talking about that point. And... I'm not a you know I'm not a Trump guy, a Trump supporter, but that method of messaging, uh, Kelly Paul is is mirroring that method of messaging here, and maybe she just picked it up unknowingly from the Donald just by reading his Twitter, and who knows maybe we will be graced with the Donald's presence once again on Twitter, since uh, Elon Musk has come through and he's he's on the board of Twitter now. He owns what nine percent or no, fourteen percent. I think it's a fourteen percent he owns. Anyway, enough to get on the board, and we'll see if he can uh, if he can make some changes. But to get back to this tweet, now what I was saying, Trumpian tweet, two things that really aren't true, but which one's closer to the truth, do you think? I'm thinking that the third graders learning multivariable calculus in China is closer than the truth, closer to the truth, than third graders are being taught that that men can have babies. I I think I might have said that backwards. I'll say it this way. There's a good chance that maybe it's fourth grade or fifth grade where in China they're teaching multivariable calculus. Um, and in the U.S. they might not be teaching, you know, that men can have babies, um, but they're, they're teaching, you know, about uh, all of the different pronouns that the kids have to use. They start teaching that at, at an early age, the different pronouns that, that, you, that you can be called. And, you know, I, I, I know of, of kids who, who get in trouble for not addressing, I'm talking you know, junior high school, elementary school kids who get in trouble for not addressing their classmates by, by the proper pronouns. So that's happening. That's real. And the amount of transgender children uh, is, is going through the roof as a percentage. And that's, that's freaking worrisome. I mean, it's, it's worrisome for, for a lot of reasons and, and people to, to discount it as fake news is just, it's just complete insanity. Um, there is absolutely a, a concerted effort going on to corrupt minors with this transgender propaganda. And it's not to say that, you know, I, I don't have an issue with an adult you know, an adult can decide to be whoever they want to be, whatever they want to be called, whatever they want to be called. Um, that's their choice, hundred percent. You know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, do what you want to do. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I just see no problem with that. I mean, I might not want to hang out with you and bring you around my family, things like that, but. You can live your life as you want to, as long as you're not hurting anybody else. 
totally fine with that. When you start bringing um, this into schools and teaching it, and then with the Biden administration now pushing the um, you know hormone blockers on kids, top and bottom surgery for kids. No, this shit ain't gonna happen, man. No, this this is a hill. This is a hill that that I, that I will die on, uh, and I think a lot of people will die on because this is an attack on children. This is an attack on families. This is an attack on. Uh, it's it's just it's it's an attack on the human uh, the human species. I mean, it's it's not. It doesn't really take. And we and we joke about. Uh, you know, identifying a, a man or a woman, you got to be a biologist, but my, my God, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's really not a joke anymore. It's, it's reached this point and it's not, a, it's, it, but the funny thing about the joke is it's not even, you got to be a biologist. It's that even the biologists supposedly can, according to the left, the biologists can't identify um, what, what a man or a man or a woman is. And th- th- this shit just has to stop. And, that's another, I mean, that's another thing. To go back to what I talked about at the beginning, with libertarians out there saying, you know, we we won this COVID thing. We, we defeated it. They rolled the lockdowns back. They rolled the vaccine passports back. The mask mandates are going away because people are sick of it. Saying we won. Let's celebrate. Let's dance in the street. No, they pivoted. They're corrupting your children with this transgender propaganda. Wake up. Wake up. We didn't win shit. We, we, don't, we don't have control of this narrative. We don't control academia. We don't control the media. We don't control the government. Wake up. Shake yourself out of it. We haven't won anything. See, it, it all comes full circle. It all comes full circle on this show. And that's why, you know, that's, that's why I love doing solo shows because anything can happen. And... On today's show, honestly, I, I found that I was doing a solo show just a few hours ago, but I already had things in mind I wanted to talk about, and I pretty much got through everything that I wanted to. Um, this is another article I could talk about about you know the, the latest uh, latest thing in the uh, Ukraine war, but I'm, I'm not going to touch that today. Uh, I t- last solo episode I did, it was, it was basically all about talking about corruption in Ukraine, which if you haven't heard that, go back to it. Cause I think there's some good nuggets in there that a lot of people don't know about the history of Ukraine and history of corruption in Ukraine. And I did get a little bit of pushback on that from people, which is not surprising. You know, saying, how can you even talk about this? Excuse me. Compared to what Putin is doing, invading Ukraine. And, First of all, I just said I wasn't going to talk about this. I, I'll just say I'll just, I'll just say this. I'll just say this. Leave it at one thing. Leave it at one thing. You lived through the past two two and a half years. You saw the effects of COVID propaganda, right? You know that the corporate press lies to you, right? I mean, we we saw that happen many times. You saw Anthony Fauci lying to you. You've seen Joe Biden lie to you. You've seen everyone in the, in the media, at CNN, Fox News, MSNBC lie to you. Why would they stop lying? Why would they stop lying now about what's happening 
And that's not to say that, that Putin's not doing bad things. I'm sure he is. Putin's a bad guy. Putin's a bad guy. Doesn't mean they're not using this thing to uh, advance a, advance another agenda um, that you know pushes us closer to uh, to more tyranny, to possibly what I think would be a uh, a CBDC tyranny, which uh, you know Marx talked about a lot on his show. But we don't have to get into that today. And I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show here. A lot of fun today going through these uh, different articles and talking about these stories. If you have something you'd like me to talk about on an upcoming episode of Finding Freedom, uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter, at John Odermatt. And uh, anyway, even if you don't have something you want to talk to me about, go follow me on Twitter if you haven't. Why are you not following me? So go ahead and do that. And if you haven't joined the Pride, please consider joining the Pride, patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, lionsofliberty.com slash locals.com. Actually, I'm not sure if that's right. I always forget the locals one. What is it? Lionsofliberty.locals.com. They get you with the dot. So lionsofliberty.locals.com. If you haven't joined the Pride yet and you listen to almost every episode, why haven't you? It's five bucks a month. I mean, you spend more, spend a lot more. I mean that's that's a gallon that's that's one gallon of gas in a lot of places. Five bucks a month, one gallon of gas. Are we not worth one gallon of gas to you? Come on, you can do better. All right, that's all I got today, everyone. I thank you so much for listening. Always remember to keep your head up, and the fire is liberty burning. <laughs>